Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here for the Invested Podcast, where yes, we're talking we about investing, surprisingly. It's investing <laughs> time. Dad, we're, what we're, kind of investing do we talk about? Okay, we're talking about the best kind of investing, the kind that actually makes you money in the long term at high rates of return with relatively low risk and is much, much better in the long run if you're willing to learn than putting your money into an index or, an, or a mutual fund. If you're not willing to learn, then we're going to be very happy to encourage you to go do an index. Um, <laughs> but if you're willing to learn, this can get you returns that are astonishing compared to what happens by just scattering your money across the stock market. So, and I have been very skeptical, but we're into this now a couple of years. And I have to say, Dad, you're convincing me. Ah, that's good to hear. And I think are, it's not just you that's convincing me, actually. It's like the facts, to be honest, that are convincing me. Well, part of good. convincing is this guy, Warren Buffett, who is phenomenal and has been teaching at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting um, just a few weeks ago. And I wanted to continue covering what yeah. Buffett had to say uh, at that meeting. We started last week with a few items that he was getting into. And I, I wanted to dive in more if you want to, okay? I do, yeah. You uh, mentioned a couple of really interesting things at the end of the last episode. And um, well, which one do you want to start with? I'll leave it to you. Okay, well, I think let's start with with something that I think is going to contradict a little bit of what I was basically saying a few weeks ago. Buffett used something called the Wilshire GNP ratio, which is the Wilshire index, which is a large you know, group of stocks. Um, divided by the gross national product and came up with a ratio. And he said that if the Wilshire is cheaper than the than the GNP, in other words, 70%, 80%, it's a good time to buy stocks. And when it's a lot more expensive than the GNP, maybe 200%, 150%, like it was in 2000, then it's a very bad time to buy stocks. And right yeah. now, we're at 120% of, of uh, Wilshire GNP, um, and we're at 150% of Wilshire GDP, and it's starting to look like a really bad time to buy stocks. So this guy asked him, does that still stand? Is it still valid? And he also said, also the CAPE or the Schiller cyclically adjusted PE ratio, which is another thing that we use to look at the value of the market, is uh -huh. extremely high right now. It's at 29. Um, and anything over 23 or 24 is extremely high for the for the Schiller. Um, yeah, you those told us things. about both of those. Uh, a number of episodes ago, we talked about them extensively. So for anybody who's looking for more info, go check those episodes out. And yeah, they've both like they both seem to be indicating that the market is, dare I say, overheated. Right. And, and then we, uh, we, we throw into that the fact that Buffett has $95 billion in cash. The fact that he said, hey, look, every 10 years or so, we get an economic storm. And when we have that, you need to get your wash tub of cash out and get ready to go outside because it's going to be raining gold. So we put yeah. all those together and kind of argued that, hey, watch out below. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's coming. And we think so people like Buffett are getting ready for it. This questioner was asking, are those ratios still useful as indicators? Is that what he was asking? Yep. And Buffett said, OK, here we go. Both standards are not paramount to valuation. Both In other standards words, you can't you can't look at these things and say, oh, OK, the market's overvalued because it's at 120 percent of GNP. You said that business valuation, which is all these businesses in the market, is not reducible to a formula. 
it's not just so simple as to be able to say, well, we're over this percentage or under that percentage. Most important thing, he said, is the future interest rate. You want to know where the market's going to be. You got to look mm. at the future interest rate. You see, people use the 30-year bond as a way of looking at the future rate. But is it right? And he says they don't want to use the current figure. We don't look at the, at uh, you know, China versus the U.S. market based on those kind of yardsticks. And and Charlie, Charlie sort of wandered off there and said, well, the first rule of fishing is to fish where the fish are, in a happier hunting ground, by which he meant maybe that you should go look at China. So hold on, I'm 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 wrapping this here. Buffett then said, if you want to value businesses, you should run a lousy business for a while. A struggle of running a business will educate you why you want a really wonderful business. Bad models can't be solved by IQ. And then Charlie said, this has been very useful to us because, you know, we're not, he, he's making a joke that they're not the smartest guys on the planet. And there's nothing like painful personal experience if you want to learn. So all of that happened at once in kind of a flow of information. But it almost sounds to me like they don't really know if they're still accurate or not. That's exactly what I was thinking. And Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because we've got interest rates that are at historic lows now. And the lower the interest rate, the more you can spend for a company. Yeah. Because you don't have to have such a high return. In other words, you if, if you're going to go compare it to a 10-year T-bill at 2.6%, well, if you've got a company that's you know that's making you eight percent a year, that looks pretty good compared to a T bill. Now, if sure. the T bill is making eight percent a year, then you're going to need to have twelve in the market or sixteen. So the interest rate relationship between the interest rate and the and the market value of stocks is Buffett said the most important thing, and that's a little different than what we talked about before. So essentially, well, it's a totally different indicator. I mean, we didn't talk about interest rate at all. No. And what that means is that you can have a lot higher P.E. ratio. You can afford to pay more for companies if interest rates are low. So where is the future interest rates going to go? And I think one thing we could say with some degree of comfort is they're not going to go down. Right. No. So the Federal Reserve Bank is starting to raise interest rates now. They're looking to raise them again, maybe in June. They're starting to talk about it again in September. It's trying to edge those interest rates up uh, without mm -hmm. crashing the economy, without crashing the stock market. And Buffett mm -hmm. is saying, OK, that's the most important thing you're going to watch. And what that might be hinting at is that as these interest rates go up, then it's going to take some of the starch out of the stock market. And eventually it's going to crumble. I kind of think that's what he's edging at there. Hmm. Well, and it's interesting that with those, uh, so the Schiller PE and the Wilshire to GNP ratio, those indicators, I mean, they're both just so kind of off the charts. Yeah. It's interesting really that he high. didn't just flat out say, yeah, things are nuts. I know. Like, well, another guy. They are telling us that they're nuts. He hedged on, like, he didn't really answer the question. So I wonder if there is maybe this situation where the government is so um, involved in sort of manipulating our economy for so many years in a row, maybe it's messing with those indicators. And, I think that's likely. You know, I think it's likely, too. I think it's likely. I think the indicators are being messed with big time by enormous market intervention by the Federal Reserve. Um, and this isn't a criticism of that. If they hadn't have done it, probably we'd be in a depression. But... It's just to say that we're in a different world. And a hedge fund manager named Jeremy Grantham just recently wrote a, 
I think, a really good article that basically said the market has changed. We're now 20 years into a vastly manipulated, mm. centrally controlled stock market. Yeah. And we better get used to it because P.E. ratios aren't going to be coming down. And so if we've got very mm. low interest rates going forward in the future, I mean, Japan's had them for 20 years. If we follow that same model... Uh, and think about it. Can you really raise interest rates substantially? Are you really going to put real estate back in the in uh, into the depression that it was in in 2007 by raising interest rates and causing the price of real estate to fail? I mean, all kinds of bad things happen. You have you have this huge national debt of 20 trillion dollars. Raise interest rates. All of a sudden, a huge piece of our taxes just goes to pay interest. To the, I mean, you know, there's a lot of reasons you won't see interest rates go up. And I think what Buffett is pointing to is the possibility that these two indicators are no longer connected to the regular market as they used to be. Probably. Okay. Next. It's, I mean, I'm just, I'm, yes, next, but I'm, I find this to be a very uh, deep topic. Yeah. There's a lot to think about here with the changes and what's happened with the stock market and our economy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it could just keep going up. Yeah, and this is another reason oh. that if you're not going to learn how to invest and you're not you're not comfortable sitting in cash for years, perhaps um, waiting for an opportunity to buy great companies at great prices, you need to be in an index because if this thing just continues to go up, you're going to be very glad you were, and um, and otherwise you got to learn you got to learn how to do this and you got to sit quietly. And just mm -hmm. watch what these really good investors are doing. Munger has not bought a stock in three years. Not one share in three years. Okay. Buffett, $95 billion, More money than he's had on hand by double in his whole life. So, I mean, just yeah. watch what and they're they doing. And they can afford, they, could, they have the luxury of being able to do that because yeah, exactly. they are who they are. Exactly. Okay. Next thing Buffett said, he was asked, what, what do you want your legacy to be? And his answer was, I really like teaching. Um, he said, I had the greatest teachers, and I like that for a legacy. He said, I'd feel very oh, good about very that. that's very sweet. I Aww. think that's so cool. I love that. So he likes being the Oracle of Omaha. <laughs> I think so. I Whereas think so. I'm not sure Charlie Munger does. Like, when we went to the Daily Journal meeting, Dad and I went in person to Charlie Munger's, um, well, like, basically the one annual meeting that he shows up to. Um, which is a company called the Daily Journal. And he, I mean, I think he didn't mind taking people's, he, he ran it the way like a Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting is run where he took questions on any topic. And um, I think he didn't mind it, but I'm not sure he like loved it. Do you know what I mean? Like he didn't exactly seem like he wanted to be doing that every day. Whereas I get the feeling Warren Buffett would love to be doing that every day. I know it's hard to read Charlie for sure because I mean, he's such yes. a dry humor. I mean, he says some funny things out there, and he's on that stage for a reason. He doesn't have to be up there. Of course not. So no, I'm not it. saying he hates it. I think he likes I it. I think he likes it like a couple days a year. Yeah, a couple days what a did, year. Did, do you have notes on what his answer was to what he wanted his legacy to be? No, he didn't answer. Uh, I mean, whenever he doesn't feel like adding that he could add anything, he just says, uh, no. <laughs> like that. Okay, onward. So and okay. again, in no certain order, um, someone asked them about EBITDA. This is a measure of uh, of the income statement where you have revenue, 
subtract your expenses and what you have left is net income. But there's some sublevel information here. And one of that sublevel lines would be EBITDA. It's your net income, but before it's it's earnings before you subtract interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And man, these so guys like, do not like that. It's a way bigger number than actual earnings. It is a bigger number than actual earnings and a lot so it of looks corporations. Better than earnings. It does. And a lot of corporations are saying, oh well, this is more accurate about how our business is doing because they don't include things that are, let's say, a one-time event or depreciation and amortization is not included ever. And um, and you take away taxes because tax rates can go up and down. And they want to compare the business to a business that has no, you know, oh, you, have no, you have no debt. So this one can compare well to one that has debt. And, has it, which is, and Buffett is just saying, this is ridiculous. And a terrible idea. I'm just going to read. Okay, hold on, work. hold on, hold on, hold on. Before okay. you provide the rebuttal to the argument, I want to make sure I understand the argument. Okay. So, the people who who like EBITDA, who want to use it, who think it provides a better view of their business, think that because all the it duh part of it. So the E is earnings. And then there's what into this is the what I don't like about EBITDA is that I can't, I always forget what it stands for. So it's interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. Yep. Am I missing something? Nope. That's it. Okay. Um, so they're saying that those things fluctuate from year to year or cannot be predicted from year to year. And so they should just like, it's a useful, um, rubric to look at the earnings before those things. Is that right? It's because of the fluctuations and the unpredictability? Yeah, that's what they that would argue. I but, mean, I can see that. I can see like, okay, that's something to look at. But why? I don't but, know. But Munger and Buffett are basically going, when you start taking depreciation and amortization out of your expenses, what um, you what you're really doing is you're you, you you still have You're providing to have, a false view of what's happening. Exactly. You, you it's he says it's a mass delusion, um, but it helps Wall Street get higher valuations for their companies and more lending power. And it's very misused. And Charlie said, you got to you said you've there are these are disgusting people who brought <laughs> this term to Wall Street. Wow. He said, it's like a leasing agent. That's how you really feel. Oh, yeah. Charlie said, it's like a leasing agent for real estate. He says, you got a thousand. He says, basically, your thousand square foot apartment is actually 2,000 square feet. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually 2,000 square feet. And we're going to use the 2,000 square feet that doesn't exist to base all of our projections. That's right. That's where the problem comes in. It's not with saying, Oh, it's a thousand square feet, but your deck is so big that we're going to count it as living space. That's exactly what these guys are doing. It's saying, actually, you can live on your deck. And you're like, no, because it's winter. Exactly. Or you can live on your roof. We'll count your roof. Your roof's flat. So we'll count it as a place where you can live. Or we'll count your garage. It's just, it's a false uh, way to get higher valuation. And Buffett said, it's amazing how it's been accepted. And Charlie said, it's used in the business schools now. He said, basically, it starts off by thieves using it. And now it's in school. 
I see. That's really interesting that it's become something people actually rely on. Because when you first started, I thought, you know, what's the big deal? Like, fine. It's just a number. I mean, like, there's lots of these various numbers that people throw out. And every but hedge if people fund, are relying on it, that's different. Every hedge fund conference I go to, you'll hear these guys talk about EBITDA, multiples huh. of EBITDA. And that, like, in bankruptcy court, they use EBITDA, multiples of EBITDA. And it's just become broadly accepted as a standard for figuring out the value of a business. But what it's allowed them to do is to increase the value of the business um, sort of surreptitiously. And Buffett hates it and Munger hates it as well. All right. That's super interesting, one, one actually, thing. Dad. I know. I can't believe that an accounting idea is really interesting like that, but it is. And then, then a question came in about United States Gypsum, which is no longer called that. It's called USG. And this is okay. a company that Buffett actually owns a big chunk of it. I think they own 30% at one time. It's gone bankrupt twice since Buffett's owned it. Um, once because of asbestos and then the next time because the real estate market failed. And the end result is that um, this, this is still in there. And a lot of people are like, well, is this, is this still a good company? What's going on? So maybe basically... What Buffett said was that there's just too much capacity in the industry. There's Management was just too optimistic. They like to build plants, so they just built more plants. And supply mm. became greater than demand uh, for many, many years. Housing isn't growing as fast as it's necessary to absorb all of the supply. And so they, they just can't be profitable. So that's like... So that. what, what interested you about that company? Well, what I'm interested in is companies with big moats, of course, right? And yeah. and one of the ways we see a company with a big moat is that it can charge a price premium over all of its competitors. Hmm. Right. So if you looked at two car companies, let's say hmm. you've got Mercedes Benz selling a eighty thousand dollar. I've got like we've got this GL four fifty, right? So it's eighty thousand dollars. And you go over and there's Cadillac, and they've got their SUV that they sell for about eighty eighty five thousand dollars, and so. And then you got one made by um, by uh, like Lexus has one right in that eighty five thousand dollar price point. Well, Mercedes can't sell it. I'll just take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> let me get let me get my extensive knowledge of the eighty five thousand dollar SUV category out. Oh, wait a second, I don't have that. So the point is, these are these are companies with big brands, but do they have big moats? And and the answer is not really because. Mercedes can't just charge $100,000 for a car that competes against these $85,000 cars. They, yeah. they can't get the, pre the premium. Whereas Sheetrock commands a 15% premium to any other product in the market that does the exact same thing. Oh. And the reason because is... Because people think it's better or it is better. Well, we should say it like this. It, it competes with a 15% premium to companies that produce sheetrock or, or drywall, rather. Sheetrock's a brand name of USG. So they produce drywall that has the same specifications. So it's, you know, quarter inch thick, half an inch thick, whatever it is, right? And it's everything sounds the same. But these guys have a reputation for delivering product that that is much more durable, and much safer for the builders. And man, once it's on, you don't want to take it off. Chinese products came into the market in the early 2000s. And about two or three years later, they started having mold in them. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine the oh, cost horrible. Yeah. of pulling oh. your sheetrock off? And so it's just not worth the downside 
to use no. an inferior product. So these guys have 25% of the market in the US, they've got 40% of the market in Canada, 50% of the market in Mexico. But they they themselves have too much capacity and you know they'll come out of it I think eventually. I it just sounded like Buffett wasn't real happy with the management team there. Um, so but, he's a he currently owns it. He, yeah, he's an a big investor. piece of it. Yeah, he's an investor okay. in it. So it's on my list. I mean, I think it's definitely a big moat company. Well, what was it that caused the question to come up? Like, why was somebody? Uh, it's just all right, gone so nowhere that... forever. It's just gone nowhere forever. Oh, it hasn't just... had a dip. It's gone nowhere. Yeah, it's just 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 not doing well. You know, they just don't seem to make any I money. See. I see. So somebody, whoever asked it, was wondering if he was going to stay in with yeah, with, still without with much evidence that it was ever going to come up. But right. isn't that like? Don't you talk about that constantly? Isn't that like classic? It's classic. Rule number one: We want the price to go down. Yep. Kind we of want stuff. the price to go down. But then you you got to look at um, what the revenue stream is, and it, they've just been the the problem is that. If you don't have, if you have too much capacity in an industry, you've got too much supply, not enough demand, and it's it it what well, just drives price down. And when you've got price driven down, you don't make any profit. And so the investors are basically like, "Do you really want to hold on to this thing?" Well, that it's tells kind of me that what we're talking about is actually not accurate because the idea of we want the price to go down is only when the value is high and the price is lower than the value. And that provides various ways for the company to capitalize exactly. on that. But what you're actually talking about is nothing to do with the price. You're talking about the value having the value gone nowhere. of the business. The question is, what's going on with the value? Very, very good insight. That's exactly right. So forget about the price. What's the value of this business if it just doesn't make money? Hmm. Right? Okay, so now that I understand it a little better, what, what, what did Buffett say about it? He was just going to chill Buffett's with it? Buffett's saying managers just screwed it up. He, they... Hmm. They just went out there and have too much capacity to create this product and that all that excess capacity has killed price. So got it. It's so he didn't say whether you know. he I mean, he never says where, whether he's going to stick with something or not. But, no. but uh, he's been with this thing through thick and thin. I don't see him selling it. Interesting. This is for everybody out there who's using a financial advisor. I love this one. Somebody okay. said, somebody said, we know you don't think we should pay financial advisors because they're not worth it. Would you pay Charlie Munger to manage your money? Yes. And, and is that and, but, the wrong answer? Should I be saying, no, I desperately want to manage my own money? Of course, I would pay Charlie Munger to manage my money. I know. And so Buffett looked at that and went, well, he said, I know, he said, I know about a dozen people that I would be able to predict would do better than average, about okay. a dozen. Certainly Charlie's one of them, right? Um, but as a group, should you pay 1% to a financial advisor to beat the S&P 500 by 1%? And the answer is no. No. He's really explicit about it. He says, you will have an option that will do better than they can do in the aggregate. You just buy the index. He says, if you go to a doctor, a dentist, or a plumber, these will all do better than the guy in the street if you go to them for their particular expertise. He says, that's not true in the investment world. The guy in the street will do better than the aggregate mass of financial advisors. He says, just the way it works out. So in the investment world, that's not true. The active group of professionals in the aggregate cannot do better than sitting tight. There are exceptions, he said, but how do you identify them? 
How do you figure out who they are? So this is a really powerful point because if you are buying mutual funds, those mutual funds have a cost to the mutual fund just to run it of one to one and a half percent per year, depending on how big they are. Some of them are 2% cost. Yeah. Plus 1% for missing, your advisor. I think I'm missing what the, the really important point is. The really important point is just go buy the index. Don't use financial advisors. Don't use mutual funds. Just buy the index. You got it? Well, I don't think that that's the, the really important point. Really? I think the really important point is it's hard to identify who's good. If you can, then maybe it's worth it. Yes. Well, of course, depending on what their fees are, right? I mean, if Charlie right. Munger charges me 50%, I'm probably still not going to choose him. But, uh, you know, assuming normal fees. Um, and then if you can't identify who's good, then go with the index. And I would add to that with identifying who's good. And maybe I've drunk the Kool-Aid a little too much here, but you can identify yourself as being good. Right? There you go. And this is what Buffett said. He said, you just, he said, look, just look at stocks as businesses and just let the rest of the world be stupid. That's, that's his bottom line. And then Charlie <laughs> said, look, you want to look, look for people that, um, if you if you think you're going to try to go find somebody that you can trust doing stocks and stuff, more than half the time you will fail. So, and then Buffett said the average client of a stockbroker will not do fine. Figure out what makes sense and follow your own course. I love that. I thought that was it in a nutshell. Figure out what makes sense and follow it because. Okay, I'm going to extrapolate a little from that. I'm going to expand that. I'm going to say, please do, please figure do. out what makes sense. That means, are you interested in learning how to invest? Mm -hmm. And if you are, learn how to invest properly. And then you're you're going to be able to go outside with a wash tub, and get get these great companies when it's raining gold. If you are not willing to learn how to invest, then you must not use these people. They're not going to do you any good. You're not going to be able to get lucky and just pick an advisor. So you've got to just go buy an index. That's that's the only other choice. Either, in other words, when he's saying figure out what makes sense, it's one of these two things. Either you buy indexes and don't pay all those fees and just buy them and buy them and buy them and keep buying them no matter what the market's doing, or you invest the way Buffett invests and what we're trying to teach you to do. Those are your yeah, two choices. I, mean, I think that's, Probably true. I mean, I'd add a third category, which is because your categories were either you're really excited about investing or you buy an index. I did not start out excited about investing, let me tell no you. So kidding. I think that there's and I think that Buffett and Munger are and you are naturally inclined towards this field. And that's why you're all in it. So good for you. But for the rest <laughs> of us who are not did not go to business school, are not interested naturally in wait, the markets. Wait, wait, I didn't go to business school. No, I'm saying like people who are drawn towards like numbers and financial stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm giving that as, a, as an option of a way to manifest interest in, okay. these, in this area. Fair enough. Um, we still have to figure out what to do. And the options, as you succinctly pointed out, are invest on your own or go with an index because all the other ones are too expensive. And I think within that option of investing on your own, there is this strong push that I've done towards um, 
finding that interest towards developing it for oneself. Oh, and I, I think that there's just from my own experience, a lot to be gained in that field. Well, I think that then Warren is offering you one last thing. And that is, he said, follow your own course. That's right. Mm -hmm. Which yes, I think is no. right. I think is right. And you have done that. I'm really proud of you. You've really done well figuring out how to make this make sense for you and how to get in, in connected with it. So we, there's much more to do. We still got more to go on Berkshire. Let's do some yeah. more. And yeah. until then, time to go play. All right. Thanks, everybody. See Bye. ya. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.